Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today, in a standalone sermon, I want to preach on the subject, and a child will lead them, and a child will lead them. Now, I don't want to offend anyone today, but I have a problem with the Christmas classic, Away in a Manger. I do, it bothers me, it really does, because in the middle of this song, there is a stanza that just doesn't quite ring true. As a matter of fact, I I think it's a flat out lie. Because the second stanza, it, it says this, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. This stanza should offend every parent in this room. If you've ever had a newborn child, you know that this is just not true. One of the questions that I often ask parents of newborns, are you getting any sleep yet? I mean, have they started sleeping through the night? And for some of you, it it happens faster than others. But, But very seldom do you get a good night's rest when your child is first born. And so every parent in this room understands that, that, that this song, this particular stanza, just probably isn't quite true about the birth of Jesus. I'll pick on another Christmas hymn. Silent Night. I know it's some of your favorites. I know it is. But, 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 but hear me out. Now that our kids are 20 years old and they're in college... Mandy and I are finally starting to remember what a silent night actually is. Because for 18 plus years, it's been anything but silent nights around the McKinley household. And so the question comes to mind, did baby Jesus really not cry? It's as if the authors of these songs thought that Jesus did not cry because he was perfect and divine. That because he was the God child, that that he did not cry. And so, does a crying baby Jesus detract from his divinity? I I don't think so. But a non-crying baby Jesus detracts from his humanity. Because trust me, Mary and Joseph had to put up with the same crying youngin, just like you have to put up with yours. And we know that he certainly cried as an adult. We know that. Luke 19 and 41, it says that as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, that he wept over it. He wept over Jerusalem. He looked out over Jerusalem and he was troubled because he wanted them to be right with the Father so bad. But as he he looked out over Jerusalem, he cried. We know that at the death of, of his friend Lazarus in John 11 and 35, it tells us the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He cried. And so we know that as an adult, Jesus cried. And I can assure you that he cried as a little child also. Now, he may not have cried the way that your brat cries when he or she doesn't get their way. It's probably a little different, but I assure you he did cry. If he fell and he bumped his head, Jesus cried. If he was hungry, As a baby, he cried. That's how babies tell us that they're hungry. Maybe there were even moments as a child that that maybe he was scared. 
and he cried. I know that he had to work through these emotions. We saw that in the Garden of Gethsemane as an adult when he prayed, Father, if it could be your will that this cup could pass from me. In other words, I'm not crazy about going to the cross right now. And if there's any other way we can save humanity and, 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 not for, and for me not to die, let, let's go that route. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so we know that he had to work through those emotions. But he was a child before he was a man. And over 700 years before his birth, the prophet Isaiah made sure that those who were seeking the Messiah would know that he would appear as a small child. Isaiah repeats this numerous times. In Isaiah 9 and 6, he, he, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm going to be reading from the book of Isaiah today, but let me talk to you for a few moments about it before you, as, as you're turning to the book of Isaiah. Because the, the Old Testament book of Isaiah is one of the most interesting books in all the Bible. I would never, ever label one book more important than other books, but you've got to understand, church, that there is something unique about the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah has often been referred to as the mini-Bible. Many theologians look at it as the mini-Bible because there's some characteristics about the book of Isaiah that are just unique. They're different than any other book in the Bible. You see, the Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, with a blank page and the genealogy of Jesus Christ between them. And Isaiah has two sections with a historical section right in the middle between those two sections. The Old Testament has 39 books. The first part of Isaiah has 39 chapters. The New Testament has 27 books, and you guessed it, the second section of Isaiah has 27 chapters. The Old Testament is about the law, and the first section of Isaiah is about judgment. The New Testament is about the gospel, and the second section of Isaiah is about the good news, foretelling of of what's going to happen. The New Testament begins with the ministry of John the Baptist. And the second section of Isaiah begins with the prophecy of John the Baptist as a voice crying out in the wilderness. And then the New Testament, it ends with the new heaven and the new earth. And Isaiah ends with the exact same prophecy that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, it is a type of mini Bible. And if there is an Old Testament book that deserves attention, especially during this Christmas season, it would most definitely be the book of Isaiah. His very name meant salvation of the Lord. Isaiah's name, salvation of the Lord. And it's a name that he would live up to as he would prophesy of the birth and the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the exaltation, and the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's an amazing book, and there's no Old Testament prophet that spoke, that spoke more of, of, of the coming Christ than Isaiah did. Isaiah chapter 11, I want to read verses 1 through 6. It 
Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. He's telling us the lineage here. Jesse, the father of David. This is going to be of the lineage of King David. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with the righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child will lead them. You know, children are innocent in the fact that they do not understand good and evil. When you come forth out of your mother's womb, you have no understanding of what is right and what is wrong. When you are first born, you don't get this. Children have not yet gained that knowledge, and and they have to learn that knowledge. It has to be instilled inside of them. When Kendall and Caleb were young, we taught them that there were certain words that were bad words. Probably not the same bad words that some of you choose. No, we chose for them to, to, to look at certain words like stupid and shut up as bad words because we did not want them saying that to each other or to anyone else. And so those words were off limits. That would not be in their vocabulary. You cannot say stupid and you cannot say shut up. Those are bad words, kids. And so anytime that, that they would hear those words, their, their eyes would just, just about bulge out of their head. They would, you know, and, and, and bless their hearts, some people would just go out to dinner with us. And, and, you know, somebody joking around would look over at their spouse and be like, shut up. And our kids would be like, Are that stupid? <gasps> and our kids, they would, they, would, they would do that. They would, they would hear something on TV. Someone would say the word stupid, and they would go, <gasps> you know, it was a big deal to them because the word stupid and shut up, they were taught that those are bad words. But since we did not use foul language in our household then or now, they didn't know what real cuss words were. And I realized around five or six years old that they had no comprehension at all of what real four-letter words look like. And so we would we'd sit down to watch TV together, and sure enough, someone would say shut up, or someone would say stupid, and, and they would come alive. I mean, aren't you, turn the channel, they said shut up, we can't watch this. But someone would drop a real four-letter word, and it was just over their head. They didn't even get it. They didn't understand it. And soon, Mandy and I started realizing, you know what? They're going to 
they're going to learn some words at school if we're not careful. We've got to teach them that there are some other words that are off limits to them because you just don't know. It's not intuitive. You just don't gain that knowledge. You have to, to have it instilled inside of you. And parents, we protect our children from knowing certain things until they are the right age. And we call this protective knowledge. We protect them from knowing certain things. You see, you don't teach your child about betrayal until they have been betrayed by a friend. Then you have to sit your child down and talk to them about betrayal and friendship and those kinds of things. And what can go wrong with those things. You, you don't teach them about the importance of saving money until they actually have money that they can spend or save. It's protective knowledge. You don't share that with them until the time is right. And you certainly don't teach them about sex until the right moment, right? Whatever. Some of you, your kids are 28, 30 years old and you still haven't had that conversation yet. <laughs> it's protective knowledge. We protect them from the knowledge of stuff that they have no business understanding at that age. It's a need-to-know basis, and they just don't need to know. And God, in His infinite wisdom, had a protective knowledge policy at the beginning of humanity. Adam and Eve were not born. They were created. And they were innocent until they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did not have an understanding of what was good and what was evil until they ate of that tree that the enemy of their souls convinced them to eat of, saying, you will be like God. Well, yeah, you'll know some things that God knows that God never intended for you to know. So yeah, in a sense, you will be like God, understanding good and evil. And an understanding of good and evil would almost seem like it would be a good thing, right? I mean, when you, when you sit back and you think about it, you think, well, if I just had an understanding of good and evil from an earlier age, it would have saved me some heartache. Because it, with that understanding, it would seem that you would know what to avoid and how to avoid it, right? But that was not God's plan for humanity. He wanted us to leave that knowledge to him because God has the ability to see good and to see evil and to handle it with grace and mercy and too often we just don't do that. But God had that ability, has that ability. God could look at those who were doing evil and he could love them just as much as those who were doing good. And he still does. Just because I get up and preach the gospel every week does not mean that God loves me more than he loves someone who is not here today and never steps foot in the church and, and, and has no desire to love the Lord at all or to serve him. And God has this ability to look at their life and love them just as much as he loves me. Oh, to have that ability. Oh, to go back to the Garden of Eden and say, Adam, Eve, don't eat that. We don't need to know what God knows there because we don't have the same ability to love in spite of that. 
And in our text this morning, here's what the prophet Isaiah said about, about this child. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Have you ever noticed that children, they, they don't judge by what they know. They judge by how they feel in that moment. You ever notice that? It's just, it's the way children are created. It's, it's because of that innocence that they have. They don't judge by what the facts actually are. They judge by how they're feeling in that moment. It's like this. But I want to go to the playground. Well, it's storming outside. I don't care. I just want to swing. Not even affected by the circumstances. They just have these feelings and, and they go off those feelings. I want ice cream. It's 32 degrees outside. I don't care. I want sprinkles and ice cream. And Jesus, just like a child, did not look at the obvious circumstances surrounding my life or your life. Romans 5 and 8 reminds us, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But Jesus, they will break your heart numerous times. I don't care. I just want to love them. But Jesus, he will divorce his wife for no reason. I don't care. I just want to love him. But she will embezzle money. You don't understand. She's going to hurt other people's lives. I just want to love him. Her. Them. That while we were still sinners, he didn't judge us by what he could see or even what he could hear. Just like a child. But why? Why did he have to come as a baby? Because that still just doesn't make sense. Why would he come into this world weak, vulnerable, and dependent upon others? Why? Is that a way for a king to arrive? Why wouldn't he come as a full-grown man full of power, full of wisdom, and, and full of ambition, ready to take over? Why? That would make a lot more sense in this situation. And just as Adam represented the entire human race in the Garden of Eden and led us all into sin and death, Jesus represented all those who would trust in him, leading us into forgiveness and into eternal life. You see, I've heard the excuse for way too long, church, that, 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 man, Adam and Eve really put us in a bind because they affected all of humanity. Well, Jesus took us out of that bind because what he did has the ability to affect all of humanity also. Quit blaming the first Adam and start receiving what the second Adam had for us, has for us, and will continue to do for us. Romans 5 and 17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, church, it was imperative that Jesus be born as a child and grow up to be a man. 
This had to happen. Galatians 4 and 4 says that he was born under the law. And part of the requirement of the law was to be circumcised on the eighth day after being born. He could not have just appeared at 30 years of age and fulfilled that. He had to be eight days old at some point. Also, if he just appeared in the form of a 30-year-old man, he would not really be 30 years old. He would only appear to be 30 years of age. And this is important because according to Numbers 4 and 3, in order for a priest to be eligible for his Levitical duties, he had to be the age of 30. And so he just couldn't show up and just be 30 years old. He had to become 30 years old. But let's put all of that Jewish mumbo-jumbo aside just for a moment, with all due respect, okay? Because those of you that know me, you know I love Jewish history and tradition and, and everything that goes with it. But let's just lay all that aside, because that bores some of you, and I understand that. A baby? It represents so much more than being circumcised on the eighth day or becoming a priest at 30 years of age. For anyone who has children or who has experienced the birth of a child, you know that it is a miraculous occurrence. It's an amazing thing when a child is born. What was once nothingless is formed in a womb wherein God breathes life and that life grows and a belly swells with hope and promise of a new baby. And that baby, it represents life. It represents newness. It represents hope. It represents the future. It represents a second chance. It represents opportunity. It represents a new beginning. And this baby, baby Jesus, this child that was born into us, represented a second chance for humanity. Where were we heading without that child to lead us? And that child led us back into a relationship with the Father. The first Adam failed us. The second Adam freed us. The first Adam rebelled, but the second Adam redeemed. The first Adam was selfish. The second Adam was selfless. And this baby would be the answer to reconcile us to the Father. Through him, we would be made right. So if you want to celebrate something this Christmas season, remember that. Without the birth of this child, we are forever at odds with the Father. Without the birth of this child, we are forever separated from the Father. And just like your children, at first he said goo goo, gaga. Later he would say mama, dada. He would then learn to ask questions just like your children. But why, daddy? Why, mama? We know that because at 12 years of age, we find him asking questions to the teachers of the law and astonishing them with his questions. He would later learn to use his words 
to teach. And Isaiah said these words in our text. He said he would strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. He would change our lives forever with just what he would teach. But the most important words that that baby who became a man could ever say, he said on a cross when he said, it is finished. At his death, it is finished. The power of sin over your life, it was broken in that moment. All because a baby grew up to become a man that would die for our sins. He was born a child just like you. He grew in wisdom and stature just like you. And he was obedient all the way to the cross, even unto death for you. On Christmas Eve, a man was wondering why God chose to come down as a helpless infant. And he was standing at his kitchen window. Snow was on the ground when he noticed these young geese land in his backyard. Looking out of his window, he realized that one of them was hurt, and that's what they would do. That was, that was how they, they function as a unit, that if one is hurt, they'll all land together. And so he goes outside to see if he can help, and as he approaches them, they become startled, they become frightened, and as they begin to, 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 to flap around and, and move, they become, they, they, they become deeper and deeper into the snow. He goes over to his garage door and he opens the garage door and he's trying to get them to see that he wants them to go into his garage out of the snow so that, so that they can be cared for, so that he can help them. And the more that he tries to, 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 to usher them into that garage, the more that they become disabled in the snow, some others even become injured because of it. And he thought to himself, Man, if just for a moment I could become a goose just to speak their language so they would understand that I am here to help them and not to hurt them. And then he realized he had the answer to his question. Jesus Christ became a baby to learn to speak our language so that he could teach us that he's here to help us and not to harm us, to lead us, and to reconcile us back with the Father. That's how we're led by a child. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.